from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, good morning, security gang. It's hump day, Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. Welcome to our show this morning. And oh my, is it packed. And I say this a lot often, right? But today's show is really, really critical because we're going to be talking about a whole slew of things going on from more information on the DP World cyber attack to CISA actually warning about chemical attacks and the vulnerability within U.S. critical infrastructure on chemical uh, attacks and so much more, including Joe Sullivan, the former CISA over at Uber, uh, speaking out. We'll have all of that on this morning's show, so don't go anywhere. We're live with all of y'all on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, Twitter's now X, by the way, Rumble, and so many others. Thank you all for being here. I see your comments this morning. Go check out our Substack. Exclusive content is there. Um, you obviously know we don't bring on a lot of sponsors on the show. We do that in order to keep our content honest. But what I've started doing is doing a whole lot more exclusive content only on Substack and only for our paid subscribers because it's a way for, uh, for, for me to monetize the podcast and for you to support the work we do and when you do that and you subscribe you actually get one of our travel espresso mugs here shipped directly to you with a whole bunch of other really cool swag that comes with it by you supporting our program so if you don't mind go to jamesazar.substack.com do that um and and i'm always grateful for all of those that are supporting the show now without further ado join me this morning for our double espresso coffee cup cheers y'all espressos are just so good once it hits your lips, I feel like Will Ferrell and, and, and old school. Let's go ahead and get started with DP World confirming the data, confirming that data has been stolen in their cyber attack, but there was no ransomware used. So a few weeks ago, November 17th, we talked about the DP World, which is essentially one of the largest logistics uh, companies in uh, Australia, uh, which handles, you know, five different ports and freight operations. They handle 40% of the country's shipping container trade were targeted by attackers. The disruption left 30,137 containers stranded and available storage spaces were filled to capacity. In a statement from DP World to Bleeping Computer, the company now says the port operations resumed on November 13th, returned to normal status on the 17th. The backlog of over 30,000 containers was completely cleared by November 20th. Regarding the scope of the impact and the type of cyber attack, DP World established that a security incident only impacted its, its Australian business. It didn't find signs of ransomware deployment, but it did confirm that, the, that they did steal data. So um, the question is, what, what kind of files were accessed by the unauthorized third party a small and, a, and, and a small amount of data that was exfiltrated? So this was one of two things. Either they tried to deploy ransomware and couldn't. And when they couldn't deploy the ransomware, they just try to take some data to potentially run a blackmail like, hey, we're going to release all this sensitive data unless you do X, kind of similar to what, you know, kind of, you know, happened to Sony back, you know, six, seven years ago. Uh, th th that's one modus operandi. The other one is this is corporate espionage. And it could be a competing Chinese uh, entity or Russian entity or North Korean looking to gain intelligence on DP World for potential business impacts and business ramifications. No one's claimed responsibility. There's no really clear indication of where this is coming from, although Australia does like to investigate this stuff. So 
we'll see where this pans out but now we know this wasn't a ransomware attack it was rather a data attack so we'll see that as well CISA has issued a warning to Congress saying facilities maintaining dangerous chemicals across the U.S. are no longer receiving adequate security support. When comparing them to energy, water, and telecom, cybersecurity professionals tend to be less up-to-date with the chemical sector despite physical and cybersecurity threat that they face. CISA used to plug the gap with its Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards, or CFATS, as the government loves acronyms, including we cybersecurity professionals. Um, which identifies and regulates high-risk facilities to ensure security measures are in place to reduce the risk on certain dangerous chemicals that are weaponized by terrorists, especially given the heightened sense of threat in the country uh, now, especially uh, with the amount of people we see chanting uh, uh, for uh, Hamas and Hezbollah, a terrorist organizations. Um, so yesterday in a blog marking the fourth month anniversary uh, of the decision, CISA uh, Director for Chemical Security Kelly Murray has warned that the absence of CFATS program is a national security gap too great to ignore. Um, there are four primary pillars to it, each with an important uh, security function. First, CISA screened over 40,000 chemical facilities through the program, identifying 3,200 of them as high risk. Um, with four months of downtime, the agency estimates that at least 200 new facilities have likely acquired Dangerous chemicals in those facilities could be stockpiling these chemicals in excess of their existing security precautions. Uh, there's that. CISA worked with the facilities to identify risks and their surroundings, develop cyber and physical safety plans to mitigate those risks, improving security postures by around 60%, as Murray explained. So what we're seeing here is that this was designed to really help the chemical industry stay ahead of evolving threat landscape, but now there's not that the letter calls on Congress to reinstate CFATS I would urge all of you to reach out to your local congressmans. <laughs> Take the link in the article. It's in the show notes. Send it to your congressman or woman, whoever your state representative is and, and U.S. senator in the House and go, y'all got to fund this and get this going. This is too great of a threat with the heightened sense of, 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 of security in the nation right now heading into an election year. You, <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, complacency. I talked about this after the October 7th attack. Complacency. See these gaps, you just get comfortable. You go, no one would, no one would, no one would. They will, and they will. Attackers have started exploiting the critical own cloud flaw we talked about yesterday, and now there's an urge to preach. Please, Peter, preach. I can preach and say, ask, please, at the same time to patch the own cloud vulnerability uh, ASAP. The uh, attackers are already exploiting the vulnerability tracked as CVE 2023-49-103. It exposes admin passwords, mail server credentials, and license keys in containerized deployments. Guys, this is significant, right? So please, in the, for the sake of all things um, um, important, get these patched up. As you can tell, this has global implications, by the way. Um, global, you're seeing the U.S., Canada, Brazil, um, with the United States, uh, with Germany, uh, Russia uh, being the hotspots. Uh, um, um, and so, like, <laughs> please, for the sake of all things sacred, patch your own cloud environment if you are uh, a customer and get that taken care of as well. Joe Sullivan is finally able to uh, break his silence and speak out about the whole ordeal around his conviction um in in the uber breach 
scenario where he was charged with allegedly hiding the breach. He's due to speak at an event in Europe uh, next week, but now he's been able to start to give some interviews. As y'all remember, we talked about this extensively here on the show and also on the CISO Talk podcast. I'm a firm believer that Joe Sullivan was thrown under the bus, and I was uh, uh, very outspoken to the fact that the uh, the, there was greater accountability within Uber that needed to be had except Joe Sullivan. Uh, He was sentenced to three years of probation, 200 hours of community service, and a $50,000 fine. Prosecutors were hoping to have him incarcerated for 15 months, um, y'all. So, uh, you know, Sullivan talks, uh, he he interviewed with Dark Reading, talking about uh, being fully prepared to go to jail with a specific penitentiary area that they were going to request in order to make sure that he could still see and visit his family understanding that his kids would probably have to take care of all of his other liabilities while he was out there. If somebody, what's your, uh, it's, uh, you know, and he's been vying to speak about this, by the way. Um, and his lawyers wouldn't let him until everything was done with and over with. And now it is. And so he can finally uh, speak. I saw Joe speak about some of this stuff previously at some other events I've been to where he was speaking. And he's, he's a very dynamic speaker, very passionate, but he was also, in, in, in all reality, uh, uh, not necessarily thrown under the bus, but he didn't follow all the procedures, even admits to, to, to some of the mistakes here. Um, you know, a lot of people were, were quick to use them as a, as a, as a headline, as clickbait, um, and not really understanding the fact that when we do what we do as practitioners and when we go through a cyber event, um, th- this has far-reaching impacts. I've said it multiple times. So many practitioners so often that this has an impact that that goes long before that your kids your family your friends they all see it they're all looking at it you're working long hours you're dealing with a ton of pressure um that's unlike anything else in an organization right that's really unlike anything else unless you're one of the cfo embezzling money for you know you know jordan belfort right so they followed the playbook is what he's saying what people don't understand is that the company had directors and officers insurance policies they had a data breach response policy that designated a specific lawyer they were supposed to call. The team called that lawyer, called in uh, PR. He looped in the CEO, kept him up to date. Obviously, he goes, the uh, thing we didn't do uh, was insist that we bring in a third party to validate all the decisions that were made. Um, and uh, I hate to say it, but it was more a cover your ass, CYA, cover your ass type of move. Had he done it, could he have not been there? I'm not sure. You know, but he really is. He does go into a little bit of detail here over, you know, the recent charge from the SEC against Tim Brown, the former of the CISO over at SolarWinds. And again, this is the issue with regulators, right? They reach out and say, give us a chance. We want to work with you industry and so forth. But then the moment they get it, they want to kind of go, all right, let's go after someone. We'll see how the Tim Brown one pans out. I hope um, it doesn't go further than just some action and ends there with a potential, you know, settlement and and, and moves on uh, for the sake of everyone there. And additional legal news, by the way, the FTC, the federal judge is not stopping the FTC from intensifying restrictions that it imposed in Meta as part of the $5 billion privacy settlement. District Judge Timothy Kelly uh, ruled on Monday that he's allowing the FTC to move ahead with the new proposal to implement a blanket prohibition on Facebook monetizing youth data. Uh, Facebook for their end are saying like, um, we're 
think that this decision is without merit and they're considering legal options. This is obviously going to go to a higher court uh, in that case, or potentially you could see some lobbying coming to overwrite this FTC decision from Congress. Um, the COSA Act, which is the Kids Online Safety Act, which is meant to better protect kids online, is languishing in Congress. It's languishing in Congress because no one wants to pass bills like this as, like this in an election year. They're not going to do it. They're all lame ducks. They're all raising money. Um, and they're using all of these languishing bills as capital in order to raise money from lobbying. When you wonder why our uh, system is broken, that's it right there for you in uh, a, a, a jiffy, right? Um, there's that. So Google Chrome uh, has an emergency update that's fixing their sixth zero day that's being exploited in 2023. The uh, Google's aware of exploit for CVE 2023-34-63, sorry, 4-5 existing in the wild. The exploit is for the security flaw in a new advisory. The vulnerability is now addressed in the stable desktop channel, which patches versions rolling out globally to Windows user uh, 119.0.6045.199. Uh, slash dot 200 and Mac Linux users at 119.0.6045.199. Although the advisor says it may take a few days or weeks to reach the entire user base, they are recommending it. It's likely being exploited in spyware attacks, according to two security researchers with Google's threat analysis group. That's Benoit Steve, uh, Sevens and Clement uh, Lessien. Uh, that bug was reported on Friday, November 24th. We're now Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, sorry, November 29th. We see what we see here, y'all. So we've got that as well. And a critical vulnerability in Ray, an open source compute framework for AI, could allow unauthorized access to all nodes, according to Bishop Fox. CVE 2023-48023, which a bug exists because Ray does not properly enforce authentication on at least two of its components, namely the dashboard and client. A remote attacker could abuse the issue to submit or delete jobs without authentication. Furthermore, the attacker could retrieve sensitive information and execute arbitrary code. The vulnerability could be exploited to obtain uh, OS access to all nodes in the Ray cluster and attempt to retrieve Ray EC2 instances credentials typical in AWS cloud installs. Um, it's rooted in the fact that its default configuration does not enforce authentication, does not appear to support any type of authorization model, although any optional an optional mutual TLS authentication mode is described in the framework documentation. So again, not fully thinking this through, this does exist. Uh, they're drawing to other severe, uh, severe. The company says that the rate jobs Python SDK can be used for unauthenticated remote code execution. Um, these Some of these issues remain unpatched as the vendor either does not recognize them as security defects or overall doesn't want to address them. Uh, we'll see what that kind of comes out now that this is public, but there's that as well. If you're using that, you may want to consider some mitigation on your end. That's it for our show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow. 9 a.m. Eastern right here with all the latest and greatest. Until then, have a great rest of your day, y'all. And most importantly, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.